Hi everyone, I'm Hayley Haggerty and you're listening to In Case of an Event. This podcast is where event leaders and experts share success stories, inner secrets and lessons learned on how to create, cultivate and future-proof large-scale events. In this episode, Nancy Drupal, Vice President of Research for the Centre for Exhibition Industry Research, CIR, discusses the highlights from their recently released Global Virtual Event Trend Report. We discuss the key takeaways from the report, delve deeper and ponder the reasons behind the results, and how the feedback and data might shift your current virtual revenue potential, direction and strategy. Hi Nancy, welcome to In Case of an Event. This report that you created is amazing. The report is called The Anatomy of Virtual Events and Financial Outcomes. It's very thorough, it's detailed, it really does have a lot of great insight for the industry. What was the main reason for putting this data and report together? Certainly last year, once COVID hit, we started monitoring what was is happening in the trade show industry in the United States. And what we saw, we did a baseline study in April, was just pivot to virtual. And I know a lot of people say pivoting, and it's kind of like the uh, the word people are kind of tired of hearing. But nonetheless, it was documented, and it became more pronounced in June. So our research council found it important for SEER to do research on uh, trends and to provide some insights on key performance indicators because this explosion of virtual events is is a result. It's a response to COVID. Back when we did these uh, studies in April and June, very few have been active in the virtual event space prior to the pandemic. And even in this virtual event trend study, 84% of the events are ha- happened either last year, 2020, or are planned for this year. So performance metrics are needed for planning and to help evaluate the outcome. And so the genesis of this particular study. Were you surprised with any of the findings that you discovered? Well, there were two, actually. Number one, uh, the fact that on average attendance is smaller for virtual events than where there's an affiliated physical event. That was a surprise because given the elimination of the geographic boundary, one would assume that, hey, more people were going to attend a virtual event. It's easier to do that. That's the first surprise. Second one was net profit. I expected many to be really losing a lot of money on these things. And now among those that gave the out-of-pocket costs and revenues generated, we see that many generated a net profit, not a large amount, but again, they were able to contain the costs, which to me is an exciting surprise. I was definitely surprised about the number of attendance. Why do you think the virtual world from the sample size and the people you surveyed didn't bring in the volume that we would probably anticipate? Some events did. Some events really kind of did very well. Corporate event organizers, we had some in the sample, uh, you know, those branded events, you know, those larger, specific to a brand, you know, got more control, most probably over the universe. But I, in terms of why is it that more people didn't attend. I, I it, it would only be a function of, of guessing. And I would say that there's an explosion of virtual events out there, right? You got to pick and choose. If you're like the lead brand, you know, a consumer electronics show or somebody 
some other well-known event out there, well, you can go there virtually. And if it's a low price point to get in or free, why not? Whereas if you're a smaller event from the get-go, even in person, I suppose that's the challenge. But I would encourage organizers to think more about quality over quantity. I see the value of, you know, working hard to get a larger audience because that then becomes attendee acquisition candidates for the next go-round. But, you know, you could have a lot of attendees that maybe aren't really who brand marketers that are participating in an event would value. So I think quality is more important than quantity. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. What across the, again, this the sample size went well for most people? What's not a surprise is, you know, that I think many organizers are doing a great job with delivering content, education, that sort of thing, general sessions. I think some organizers have had online education already that they could tap into. So what organizers uh, believe is the biggest driver of attendance to, uh, to these virtual events and it's resonating. So, I mean, it's where it should resonate. That's, I would say, the virtual event sweet spot to take advantage of. I also wanted to talk about charging for events. Obviously, people charge for live events. That's a revenue channel for most of us, for the majority of event organizers. What did the findings show about charging for events online? And your questions uh, pertaining to attendance, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So from that perspective, yeah, we see that 56% of those in that sample charge and that the costs or the fee is 50% of what they charge for entrance into an in-person event. And the average is around $357, which is interesting. That's U.S. dollars in the global study. And it's trending similarly with the research we've done you know, with the U.S. trade show organizers as well. So that seems to be a kind of stable statistic on what's typically charged thereabouts. In terms of how they sell it, there's about 37% that sell or offer tiered pricing. So whether there's like, here's, you know, an early bird price option, then the standard pricing or member versus non-member, or for events that are more buyer events, there might be interest that's free to buyers or discounted, you know, depending on what your status is, there could be a loyalty option. So uh, the tier pricing is what seems to be most popular. I think it's just a great reference point for people who are pricing out new content and just to have that baseline. Yeah. And I mean, you even asked the question in the report, are event organizers leaving money on the table if they're not charging? So obviously most sponsors and exhibitors pay to be part of it, attendees, like you mentioned before, some do, some don't. What's your opinions on this? Well, first, I mean, I think one of the issues to discuss uh, in a strategic planning is, can you charge it to uh, attend? Because the higher grossing uh, events, they're getting more revenue from the attendee side of the equation. Simply that, I think some events are leaving money on the table. And I think they're doing that in part because we're in the midst of this horrific pandemic. Like, oh, our members are hurting or, oh, our community is hurting. Well, the events are hurting too. First and foremost, you need to make sure you're delivering high value content. And if it really is delivering to the communities, it should be worth something. And so why not charge? And as well, to the issue of attendance, now not necessarily outperforming an in-person event, but if there's some, like what I call skin in the game, right? If I had to pay to register, 
I'm more apt to pay attention to that and show up. And the results suggest that, you know, there's a higher show up rate, 80% on average um, at in-person events, you typically have to pay compared to virtual events, only 72%. So I think you can ramp up uh, commitment to participate if you charge. It doesn't, I mean, there's always that issue of what will the market bear, right? I mean, how much can you charge? Right now, everybody's dipping their toes into that revenue model, right? What can we charge? 50% maybe, again, depending upon the success and the value that could increase. However, I'm sure there are other strategic benefits to having a virtual event where you don't want to like overprice it. Pricing issues is always a moving target, but charge something I think many should charge. That, that was an eye-opener for me. Um, in my experience, when I went out to a certain market and asked, we want to do this certain type of content, conference, how much would you pay for it? And you have the brackets. You have zero to 500, 500 to 1,000, whatever the bracket is. And people, most people don't actually say zero to 500. <laughs> they actually give you what they think the value would be. So ask your audience how much it's, it's valued at. Well, let me offer you this. This is a little secret. This is a research a method to try to get or at least a range for pricing. It's called the Van Westendorp uh, pricing model approach. So you ask two questions. You ask at what price uh, would you feel that the entrance fee would be too expensive? It would be good to give a little bit more detail so they know for what they're giving an expect is what, what are you ex- expecting to pay for that? And at what point would you say if the fee was below a certain price point, would you feel it's not worth going to this event, right? Because if it's too cheap, some folks might think, oh, gosh, what are we getting, right? But if it's too expensive, so, you know, you give them that choice of what's too high, what's too low. And somewhere in the, you might get the bounds, you know, the bands of pricing. And then you got to play with it, right? What will the market bear, and I'm sure it'll change as we hopefully go into live events when budgets are spread across virtual <laughs> and in-person events. <laughs> I'm going to take out um, this quote that is in the report. So one consistent result is that the higher the gross revenues, the more apt an event is to have a greater number of networking features and activities. One standout is that games are offered at a higher rate, the higher the gross revenues of an event. of those with gross revenues under $250,000 offer this feature compared to 56% with gross revenues between $250,000 and $750,000 and 76% with gross revenues exceeding $750,000. So what do you think about this? Are higher revenue event organizers driving revenue through gamification also? Well, it's implied, but it, they're certainly making the events a more engaging experience. I would say that it's indicative of a savvier virtual event organizer. They get it. This is a two-dimensional medium. What are the what are some of the things that you do online? What have for at least over a decade folks have been doing online multiplayer and the like? They play games. <laughs> you play games, right? I mean, millennials now, millennials aren't young and at the higher band, you're approaching 40. It's just a fun, uh, unthreatening way to engage with other people or with content, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's a behavior that's pretty pervasive. 
So why not tap into that behavior and use it to a virtual event's advantage? So it can be to create engagement for the event itself, or I think brand markers really should be, you know, using it. I mean, it's something that we're starting to see become more prevalent, even in face-to-face settings for booths. I think it needs to go beyond treasure hunts. That drives me crazy. You can actually do lead generation, right, where people can, they want to compete in some kind of competition, have them answer questions. I mean, from an exhibitor perspective or brand marker perspective, have them qualify as to whether they're a prospect for whatever you're selling, and then let them play. I feel sometimes we're trying to force fit trade shows that would happen on a show floor into two-dimensional medium. It's always vexes me because I think it, it's a different medium and it needs to be used accordingly. So gamification. Now, of course, those with a little bit more money and resources can make this more interesting and dynamic. But I, I, I look at your brands that in these various games, uh, they do product placements in games. So there's a lot that could be done that wouldn't happen at a trade show, but could be integrated to virtual. So I really don't think a lot of people have thought about it too much on the the video games, the gaming, the sponsorship, like you said, the placement ads. That's not what you get at a live event. Because you mentioned that you don't believe that the trade show and the exhibitor and booth can be replicated from, or it it shouldn't be it shouldn't be compared rather because it's a different experience. So, how do you feel that price point reflects? the different experiences do you think exhibitors feel like it's worth half the price of a real life booth i I think the market will decide what is an appropriate price point for a virtual exhibit booth but i think organizers and brand markers need to become more creative i'm just thinking organizationally while an event is happening virtually um what kind of participation should an a company have I, definitely that dynamic product uh, exhibitor product service directory. And I guess the virtual booth is kind of like a landing page as to where a brand marketer's offerings and that chance to, you know, tap in to the extent an attendee wants to tap into, whether it's a video chat or chat, uh, a text chat or, or whatever. So that's the pricing. They feel that 50% is um, what they're willing to pay. But I would encourage organizers to think about again, the two-dimensional space and what can be done virtually that would make it a a more engaging and entertaining experience and deliver more value to companies that exhibit. So it just seems like it needs to be more dynamic. I think you're right though. And I think as well, people have to stop calling them virtual booths. (laughs) I think we have to like all agree not to call them virtual booths because that's not what they are. Well, you're right. What What should we call them? I mean, when I go shopping online, Amazon, I'm looking for the products and services and what bubbles up. And then you want to be the top ranked listing, right? There's a lot of revenue to be made here with that interactive product category. And it should live beyond the time of the virtual event, right? I mean, this is where these marketplaces should endure beyond the whatever number of days that live content is being presented. This can become that mechanism for engagement that extends beyond any event, whether it's in-person or virtual. Yeah. What would you say to those show organizers that do feel perhaps in comparison they're not doing so well as the report averages and the medians actually show? 
you know, the beauty of a virtual event is that everything is tracked. So let the, that, let the data be your guide as to discerning what worked, what didn't work. And then have candid uh, conversations with the team on, you know, what you, is to be done. I mean, if, if increasing the revenue is important, the data is going to tell you where a revenue generation was strong and where it was weak. So do you readjust the content offerings to that which looked like it was doing well? I really think, of course, as well, you really need to make sure you know your audiences so the professionals serve that would be the targets to come to the trade show, the virtual event. Is there some kind of post-event survey done? What do they like? What do they not like? I mean, you'll see the behavior. Behavior is very important, obviously, right? So virtual event statistics won't lie. They're going to tell you what they did and what they didn't do. But I mean, how can you improve it so they come back again? Ask them. Uh, Same thing with the brand marketers. Uh, What worked, what did not work. Uh, My sense is, again, sponsorships are very powerful. I think these peer-to-peer sessions where people might be in roundtable discussions, you know, facilitated discussions could be very powerful learning experiences in addition to those lectures from experts. I, it all goes down to knowing to the issue of trying to address underperformance. I say focus on quality, not quantity. Is an event underperforming or are the expectations out of whack with what is realistic? Um, and that goes to my point that, you know, again, largest share are generating gross revenues under $250,000. And, you know, we look at the net to the issue of gross revenues that it's like only 30% of what you generate from a large full-blown physical event. The dial isn't moving much. I mean, we've kind of gotten readings from the April survey last year to June and here it's improving as learnings happen, but it's still, as we call digital dimes that are being traded for in-person dollars. So what it's telling me from what I'm discerning from this is that the opportunity is an ancillary revenue stream. That's what I think the sweet spot's going to be for digital events. So it's another revenue stream, which is not a bad thing if you have the resources to make that happen, but you need to manage the investment, the costs to the revenue opportunity. And then, you know, so set realistic expectations and you might have some more money coming alongside other events in one's portfolio. And I think longer term, digital events have strategic value for attendee acquisition and for driving engagement outside of the life cycle of an in-person physical event. They could be synergistic. I know there are entities that have even purchased what e-commerce sites, so they're going to try to drive sales and quantify and say, hey, look, the synergy be- between whatever I would imagine, whether it's it's uh, a virtual event or in-person event, is driven from participating, investing in the the, the suite or portfolio uh, of events in a given industry sector. So much experimentation is happening. It's fascinating to me. It is to me too. And it's, it's just great to have your expertise and share it with us. And I I don't know if you have any other um, reports that you're working on, data that you're working on that you're, you know, you can share in the next couple of months. Yes, there's two other reports coming out of this global study. I'm, I'm combing through open-ended comments on um, lessons learned, what has worked, you know, areas of improvement, 
what technologies have been used or are being considered. And then another report's going to be a compilation of 10 case studies. As well, for your listeners, keep a, a, a watch for Sierra Index quarterly results. Results for 2020 will, are most probably going to be published by the end of this month. Keep a watch for that information as well. Yes, absolutely. And I will make sure that we share this report that's available on incaseofaneventpodcast.com. Thanks, Nancy, for your time and your insight and your data trolling. Hey, that's my job. (laughs) We appreciate it. It's a great report. And I look forward to having you back for the virtual event trend report number two. If you loved or even sort of liked this episode, please subscribe and rate the podcast, which will hopefully become one of your faves. Stay tuned for more episodes that will give you great support and advice on how to navigate in-person, virtual and hybrid shows in case of an event.